Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, sitting here today in the 465 North Roxbury office with my associate and co-host, Dr. Millicent Ravello. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing very well. I had a nice day of surgery, a little facelift, a little rhinoplasty, like all that good stuff and some patients. And now we get to talk about breast revisions. All in all, a good day for you. How yeah. You? Yeah. We had I had patients all day. I saw some patients, saw some consults. Now I'm here with you. And yeah, excited to talk about revision breast surgery. So we're going to talk in this one, I think, you know, this episode we should really just focus on removal and replacement of breast implants after some amount of time, and we can talk about what that amount of time is. Um, I mean, we have, there are just so many different rules that people invoke when it comes to <laughs> revision of breast implants. Yeah, there's it, there's a lot. It's a big topic. There's a lot of subtopics to it, and you can sort of go off in many different directions. Um, but I think uh, I agree. Talking about removal and replacement as one single entity is a good idea because the whole separate entity is removal without replacement and how you have to reconstruct, literally reconstruct a breast after removing an implant if you don't plan to replace it. And that's a whole other topic. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Yeah, a lot. Know, people sort of get... Like I'm done with these and right, you know, right. time to move on. But we're going to talk about today removing and replacing breast implants and, and how you handle that and when it's done. Yes. So let's get right right into it. I mean, most of the recommendations by the uh, breast implant manufacturers is 10 years after placement to swap them out. Right. And I get that question all the time. Like, oh, I'm coming up on 10 years or in 10 years, do I have to have these replaced? And it's not... It was never a hard and fast rule that at 10 years, you have to get your implants replaced. Where that started, though, is that years ago for older implants, 10 years was sort of their shelf life. After about 10 years, they were more prone to rupture. And so that's why the recommendations were 10 years, consider having your implants swapped out because they're probably going to rupture. And obviously, if they rupture, it's a much bigger deal and it's a bigger surgery. So let's exchange them before they rupture. Now, it's not that big a deal because, I mean, I tell my patients... I think almost all of the implant manufacturers these days have 20-year warranties against rupture. They believe that their implants <laughs> right. are going to last for 20 years, and they believe it so much that they put a warranty on it. Right. So then why would you swap so them out So why would you swap them out at 10 years? It doesn't make any sense. Now, if you're getting up on 20 years, sure. But in general, I find that if you're getting to the 20-year mark with the current generation of implants, which we haven't even seen yet because they haven't even been out for 20 years, That's right. you're probably going to be swapping them out for other reasons other than implant failure. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's you, like you have these, you know, these new devices are way better way than better. what we were putting in when I was a medical student, when I was in my early residency. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this is a whole different game. Right. When we talk about generation of implants, it's the fourth and the fifth generation implants that we are dealing with after silicone implants were allowed back onto the market. So silicone implants were big in the 90s. They were taken off the market in the 90s, early 2000s. They came back, I think, 2005 or something like that. Seven, eight, Yeah, I something. mean, they were on experimentally around, you know, 1999, yeah. 2000. So, because I remember doing them in my... Uh, 
in my residency as I was finishing up. Uh, so the new devices, though, probably will last much longer. Yeah. But some people want the peace of mind of swapping them out in 10 years. I have a lot of people that are just like, nope, every 10 years I want to change them. I'm like, that, that's fine. You don't need to. Yeah. I have the my, – my mindset is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I 100% agree with that because every time you go in to do an implant surgery, you are at a new set of risks just like you were the first time. That includes infection. That includes capsular contracture. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I 100% agree with that. Now, if there is concern about the implants, I would recommend the patient go and get an MRI just to take a look at them and see if there's any problems. Exactly. The current FDA recommendations are that you get an MRI three years after placement of silicone implants and every two years thereafter. Now, again, that recommendation was based on implants that had a shelf life of 10 years. I don't think it's particularly relevant. I think very few of my cosmetic patients actually do it, but I tell them that's the recommendation and then I say, do what you will. My personal belief, you follow the implants clinically, you examine them every year, you feel them. If there's a problem, then you can go on to get an MRI. Or if you're getting towards that 10, 15 year mark, you might want to consider getting an MRI or swapping them out. But there's nothing hard and fast about 10 years or 20 years. No, I mean, that... There's no like randomized controlled trial that says like you got to do this at 10 or 15 yeah. or 20. So yeah, I think following the implants clinically is is really the way to go and what does that mean? Well, that means doing self-exams, yeah. having your plastic surgeon. I have my breast implant patients come back every year if they will. Yeah, yeah me too. Very few of them will. Yeah, very few. <laughs> they're like, yeah. nope, they're great. Yeah, sounds good. You know, yeah. I'm fine. Don't need to come in. Yeah. You know, you have to, and like, the offer problem our... is when they're having a problem, they will come in. That's sort For of the sure. thing too. For Hopefully sure. they'll come in. Yeah, they, no, they yeah. do. But uh, I mean, to get patients who are doing fine, who are super happy with their implants, which is like 99. 3% of breast implant patients, you're, you are not going to get them back in the office because they're fine. They're and fine. They're happy. Yeah. So I think that you follow them clinically. Now, what's different in, you know, for our, for our listeners in your world, when you do a swap out of like, let's say it's the patient's totally fine. They don't, they don't have capsular contracture. They're like, it's 10 years, time to change my implants. And I want to go a little bit bigger or I want to go a little bit smaller. What are the considerations, A, for the patient and then for you as the surgeon? I think, well, I think they're more or less the same because when you're looking at the patient, you have to decide, I think, if they want to go smaller or stay the same size, do they need a lift? I think that's always sort of the first thing I think about. If they want to go smaller or if they want to stay the same size, but over time, the breast tissue, the breast skin itself has started to descend and become loose and the nipple is sitting in a lower position than it used to. Do I also need to lift the nipple and do a skin excision procedure to better contour the breast around a new implant, particularly if you're going smaller? Right. If they want to go bigger, it's not as big a consideration. Um, Sometimes you have to go bigger and still do a lift. Um, But as long as their skin is okay and their skin envelope's okay, going bigger is never really a big issue. So the things I look at are, do they have capsular contracture? Do I have to address the capsule? And if not, do I also need to do a lift at the time of replacing their implants? How frequently in swap outs do you have to do capsularophy, you know, 
pocket work of any kind? Is it is it most of the time? Is it some of the time? I would say it's probably half the time. Okay. And it just depends on how the patients present. You know, the ideal patient comes to you with perfect implants in the perfect place with perfect equal position. <laughs> you literally make an incision, you go in there, do a few little capsular fees, swapping a new implant, boom, done. Perfect. That's like 15% of the yeah, time. <laughs> I agree. It's pretty rare. It's pretty Most rare. Most of the time you got to do something to it's make them pretty. You got to do something. There's something a little off. Maybe they're a little bit lower than they should be. Maybe they're a little bit out to the side. Maybe you want to get more cleavage. So there's frequently some kind of pocket work. And what that means is the lining around the, the implant, which is called the capsule, needs to have some adjustments to it. Right. Um, just to make it smaller, bigger, adjust it, raise it, lower it, etc. Yeah, I mean, I find that to be... You know, it's it's more often than not, it's not just straightforward, which is why people think that a swap out is really the same as a breast dog, and it's not. It's way different. Um, and we haven't even gotten into the topic of capsule, capsulectomies, if you need a capsulectomy, if you have capsular contracture or adding a lift in. And a lot of times those are very real issues that I would say have to be addressed in at least half of my patients yep. that I'm doing a removal and replacement. In. Because typically if you're doing a removal and replacement, it's been a good 10 years. Things have changed. Your breasts have changed with time. And they're not the same breasts that you had when you had you know, came in 10, 15 years no, before. definitely not. So there's usually additional work that needs to be done this time around with the implants. Yeah, the aging breast is uh, probably another topic that maybe more interesting to doctors than to our <laughs> listeners. But but the truth is, is that there's involution of the breast tissue and it's mm-hmm. mostly replaced with fat. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, the breast doesn't have the same turgor and the same sort of firmness to it that it did when, you know, the patient was 18 years old. Right. And so now you have sort of, you know, softer, floppier tissue that you're trying to make work with the implant and it is trickier it's a lot trickier it's a lot trickier yeah Yeah. that's a real consideration because you know getting the the breast tissue to redrape over the device is like this is what we talk about as plastic surgeons you know you you get different versions of of what's called ptosis of drooping you get glandular ptosis Mm -hmm. where the gland itself is kind of hanging Hanging. off the implant yeah not cute Mm -hmm. and then you get actual ptosis where the nipple starts to drop down like we talked about in the breast lift podcast right. which uh, we would refer you all to frequently it's a combination of the two and if you I mean <laughs> if you think about it the aging breast as a topic was never designed to sit high and perky on the chest wall no. that is a man-made <laughs> configuration that we as plastic surgeons right. have created with implants and the aging breast to sit high and tight around an implant can frequently be a feat of engineering. And it's not as simple as it sounds because the breast sags. That's what it does. It's not designed to sit high where an implant sits. So that's usually the problem that we're dealing with when we're treating the breast that's a little bit older. Which is why when people say, I want to look natural, I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) Nope. That's not what you want. Natural is something different. Yeah, it's a whole you different look, look. Naturally augmented. Yes. How about that? A hundred percent agree. Yeah, sure. I mean the natural breast is like uh, by the time you're getting into you know the redos of breast implants, you know you're in your thirties, forties, and the natural breast is not cute in most cases. It starts to really you know kind of the wheels come off, especially after yeah, pregnancy and postpartum weight involution, loss, weight gain. Yeah, and the yeah. skin gets you know it just it it no. 
You don't yeah. want natural. Natural is, is very us. much a look. And natural <laughs> can be beautiful. For sure. But if you are coming in to get implants, you have to understand that, that is, that's out the window. That's right. Natural yeah. it, it yeah. is totally fine. Yeah. I think you know, there are a lot of people that want natural looking breasts. Yeah. And they don't get breast implants. Yeah. Great. That's totally fine. But for the people that want implants, they're not asking to look natural with no. implants because that's a whole different right. animal. Right. Um, even how like how often now with your with your um, swap outs with your removal and re- replace the R and R's as we call them, are you doing fat grafting to the breast? Not that often. I typically do fat grafting. Fat grafting is when you harvest your own fat through liposuction techniques, wash it, and then literally inject it right back into the breast. And I'm doing that a lot more when I'm removing an implant completely. And then I'm doing a lift and putting some fat in just to get volume. I wouldn't say that I'm doing it very frequently with removal and replacement. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm probably doing it probably about 25% of the time. I I, I like fat grafting, especially when, when the breast you know, skin breast envelope is thin. Oh, for sure. If you're having a, if you have a thin patient, good luck getting fat, but well, that's, that's also the problem. No, I think (laughs) this is Southern California (laughs) fat grafting with any breast implant, I think is great. Does add an extra natural look to it. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just not doing it that much for my, my older patients. What's your conversion when somebody has saline implants and they mm-hmm. say, I want to be the same size, mm-hmm. but I want to switch to silicone gel. Mm-hmm. What is your conversion? I have, I have mine. I want to see if it's the same. What is the volumetric? Let's say they come in and say, I have 400 CC saline implants mm-hmm. and I want to switch to silicone. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think I have a specific conversion. I usually just order a range above and below. And I would say that I probably end up putting in something maybe within 50 cc's. Of the implant that they come in with? That's what I tell them. I say, I need something about 50 cc's bigger than the saline because the saline sits as a water balloon. Yeah, it's a different look. Right. And so it doesn't like go into the interstices of the ribs. It doesn't, you know, take that space up, whereas the gel will. Yes. And so you wind up needing a little bit bigger. A little bit more to get the same amount of projection that you have with the So 50 cc's is what I I tell them. I don't really see many saline. I see it very rarely, the saline's coming back. Yeah, I'm not. There's I'm not, not seeing many. too many of them. I mean, but yeah. most people want to get rid of their salines. Oh, yeah. Some some want to keep saline. I had a patient recently that came in and said, "I have saline. I love them. I want to just swap them out." I was like, "Okay." You know, I had a patient that had saline implants placed in the 1980s. She came in a year ago, and they were fully intact. Well, that's good. She didn't even have capsular contracture. Just, just <laughs> making their way. I was like, "This is a, how are these things still intact?" Yeah, but, I mean, but they were. They can. I mean, salines were they were fine. I mean, we had to use them. For a period of time during the moratorium, I think you were probably still in grade school. But um, when uh, I was in my residency, the moratorium happened. And so we only could use saline implants. And it was, you know, you got used to it. You got, you made it work, but it's not quite the same. It's not, it's nowhere near the same. Um, And I think sort of going on forward with the revision breast implants you sort of touched on it earlier where revision breast is not the same as the primary it's very different surgery and i think that is important to talk about from a patient perspective you know your first surgery you know you probably had the implants placed you were sore had some pain and discomfort for several days by a week you're back to work you know things are going fine 
your revision breast surgery may be a little bit different depending on how much work needs to be done. You know, if you're having a lift or if you're having work done on the capsule, if you have to have drains put in, a mesh, etc., you're looking at a much longer recovery time and most importantly, you're looking at a much bigger cost. Yeah, and the price tag's higher. There's usually a huge sticker shock for patients because if they think it's going to be similar to the first one, just swap them in and out, it's going to be similar. It's usually a whole different animal. And it's really because... It's a lot more work. I mean, it's the time in the OR. It's the time for the anesthesiologist. It's the extra work for the surgeon that you're paying for because it's a lot more work. Well, and they're also comparing it to a price tag from 10 years <laughs> from ago. 10 years ago. <laughs> so it not, wouldn't, wouldn't be unusual for it to be double. Right, inflation. So from my standpoint, like for my primary breast augmentations, I charge uh, anywhere from, depending, depending on how difficult it is, anywhere from 13000 to $20,000 for a primary breast augmentation. We're in Beverly Hills. It's higher here. Right. That's how it goes. Um, for the swap outs, it's anywhere from it's more like sixteen to twenty three thousand. Easily you know, twenty five thousand. Yeah, easily. And then if we're doing a lift or fat grafting, it can go up to twenty eight thousand yeah. dollars. Especially if you have capsulectomy and all that other stuff, right. then it can be even higher. So from that's those are my prices. I know that a lot of people around the country are right now needing CPR, <laughs> but. <laughs> That's just what it costs here, and you know, I I can't tell you that it can be cheaper. It just can't. You know, our nurses are more expensive. Our rent is more expensive. The experience that I have is, you know, cost me a lot to get you know this right. volume of cases under my belt. And so, when people wonder why there's such huge price discrepancies across surgeries in different parts of the country, it, it has to do with all those things. I'm also like. I've been around. I've done done a few of these things, and and you're paying for that. You're paying. You're definitely paying for the experience. It's very different than somebody yeah. who just came out of the residency. Right. It's it's really different. Yeah. And what we know, you know, this rhinoplasty I did today. I'll just you know not to not to get too off topic, but like it was just such a hard rhinoplasty, and I was thinking back, like if I was like in my early part of my career, this was not going to be a good nose job, but it was awesome because i knew the 17 different tricks that i needed right. to make it turn out great right. yeah you had the the background and the experience the knowledge and that's what it is right. with breast implants too yeah. breast implant breast augmentation is not an easy operation it's not if anytime anybody says oh it's just a breast implant or it's just an augmentation i always think back to my general surgery days where it was like a joke where someone would say oh it's just a lap coli and then everyone would laugh because everybody knew it was never just a lap coli you that's know right. eight out of ten times you get into the abdomen and the gallbladder looks like a disaster like a bomb and then there are complications to it and it's like it's never just a simple gallbladder removal no a a laparoscopic cholecystectomy becomes a whole lot more when you can't figure out which is the cystic duct and the common duct and there there are things you need to know to to not put that person into the category of I now need a liver transplant you need to know a whole lot of information and so even though it's one of the most common surgeries that general surgeons do even though it's done you know hundreds of times across the nation every single day there is nothing that is routine about it by any means so it's the same thing with breast implants breast implants are done hundreds of thousands of times every day across the United States it is I guess a routine procedure that we do commonly but there's nothing routine about it there are very real considerations that you have to take with each and every patient Totally. Um, even though it's a pretty straightforward procedure, uh, most of the time it goes extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just have to consider these things. It's like, like 
plastic surgery is getting so commoditized that people think, oh, it's, it must be really easy. Yeah, I know. It's not. It's not. And and plastic surgery done well is rare. <laughs> I know. I, it's. I have this conversation with a lot of my friends. It, it's exactly the commoditization of plastic surgery. It's everyone thinks that they should have it, that they deserve it, and they want it cheap because not everyone can afford good plastic surgery. No. And so then that's where you start getting into some rabbit holes of bad experiences. It's not. It's not a commodity, and it's not cheap. Not when it's done well and not when it's done in the right types of facilities with the right credentials. I mean, this is, it's a big deal. Yeah. So we, we believe that you should find a board certified plastic surgeon who is very skilled in doing removal and replacement surgery. And that's where you can kind of start to, to kind of do the research of what, what needs to be done. I agree. All right, Dr. Ravello, anything else on removal and replacement? Or did we kind of hit the highlights? We hit the highlights, but there's so many more subtopics, which we're going to have to get to down the road. We have and more podcasts We have to more do, podcasts. So and again, I would reference people back to the capsular contracture one. Yes. And the augmentation mastopexy one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, again, I want to thank our listeners. Our, uh, our listenership is growing. And yes. we're very happy about that. We are... Uh, we, we love doing the podcast because it really lets us kind of air out the, the things that we talk about that maybe patients don't know about in terms of these, these topics and these procedures. So thank you for joining us and uh, more to come. But for now, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is MediSpa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496. And Roxbaugh Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-640-1111. You can go to their respective websites, RoxbaughNewportBeach.com or RoxbaughBeverlyHills.com. Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty. And if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com and you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800, and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. 
My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.